Welcome back to the Axiom Youth Podcast. This lesson is being taught by Brother Thomas Valerie, in which he discusses the different translations of the English Bible. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. I want to publicly thank uh, Brother Jared and Sister Nikki for letting me be up here. This is a very important topic. I'm very excited to talk to you about it. It's one of my favorite topics I've ever taught. And uh, what? Okay. I'm going to ignore Brother Caleb because he's going to mess with me all day. But anyways, I picked up this book. Well, I actually didn't pick up this book. Brother Jared gave me this book. It's called Which Bible? It's not a reader's book. You can't, like, it's not like a novel. Like, you just read through it. Oh, that was a good book. But it's got a lot of information, right, about different translations of the English Bible. Well, different translations... Like, say, King James Version, ESV, NIV, all those different things. But this is in defense of the King James Version, okay? Which, if you know me for very long, if you've known me for very long, or have been a Bible quizzer, you know I'm a uh, big supporter of the King James Version. Not because I like these and thous and yees and yos, and there's no yos in there. But, so, the, the, the deal today is I don't want to impose my personal preferences on you, but I want to educate you, right? Because there's things, you know, this, this Bible that you read, it, it's important to, to realize that it's not, it wasn't written in English. When, when the writers of the Bible wrote they did not read or they didn't write it in English it was in Hebrew the Old Testament was in Hebrew and the New Testament was in Greek and a little bit of Aramaic which is just like a a uh, kind of a modified form of Hebrew right it's kind of like today's Jewish people some of them speak Yiddish so Aramaic and Yiddish are kind of similar I might be completely not right about that, but I think I am. Um, so, during this lesson, if I say something that sounds biased towards the King James Version, I'm gonna I'm not I'm gonna try not to say it, but I'm gonna say that that that's my opinion. I want you to make a decision for yourself about what Bible you need to read. Okay, so. Can go to the first slide? First slide, just a second. Just working on it. Which Bible, which is the title of this book, I borrowed the title. Hopefully I don't get a lawsuit, but I'm not making any money off this, so we should be good. First um, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 7 through 11, the next slide there. Oh, wait, no, it's not the next side. Never mind. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, 
So what's the big deal? Why do we need to be concerned about the different translations of the Bible? Well, the reason is, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, starting at verse 7, it says, And even things without life, inanimate objects, objects, so to speak, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, maybe like a flute, or you'd say guitar maybe, right, stringed and, and air instruments, uh, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped, okay? If they didn't give us a distinct sound, how, do, how would you know that it's a trumpet or a bass guitar? If you, if you couldn't tell a difference, how could you tell a difference between the two? How could you hear a trumpet and say, oh, that's a trumpet, and in reality, it's a tuba, if the tuba sounds like a trumpet, right? Does that make sense? Okay, moving on. So likewise, uh, ye, <laughs> except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, and it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. So this is Paul. He's talking to the Corinthian church. He had a problem when he went, uh, or he heard about it. I don't know if he actually went there or if he actually heard about it. You know, visitors would be coming to their church, and they would just all be speaking in tongues. They'd be getting up on the pulpit. Instead of somebody speaking in their language, they would be preaching in tongues. Everybody was speaking in tongues. Nobody was interpreting. Nobody was speaking in their native language. Nobody was trying to communicate effectively. So he's saying... That if it's, I mean, it's okay to speak in tongues. He said, I speak in tongues more than you all. He said, but unless you speak to be understood, how am I supposed to know what you're saying? If I were to go up to Brother Caleb and say, Brother Caleb, you look sharp today. But I, instead, I spoke in tongues to him. He's going to look at me and he's like, wow, Brother Thomas is very spiritual. He's praying over me, and I have no idea what he's... But actually, I'm just trying to communicate a thought to him. So the lesson today is not about speaking in tongues, okay? Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues is good, but what I'm trying to get is there's uh, an element to that, to this passage, and it is don't be confused, don't speak confusion. So the, the big deal is that we have all these different translations of the Bible, and they all say different things. Uh, modern translations of the Bible have to have a copyright so that they can receive the, the, the money for producing it, right? Because when, when people produce or uh, publish a book, they 
do it for money. It's it's a job. It's for it's for business, right? You go through a publisher. They want to make money off of the author. So, in order for them to get a copyright, they have to be at least 10% different than the other translation, right? At least 10% different. So, uh, the King James Version is kind of grandfather in, so to speak. It was published in 1611. I was not around then. So, but the copyright system was not around also. So they didn't have copyright. Okay? Brother Cody was around back then. He's an old man. He's just now getting married pretty soon. Bless his heart. He's been waiting all this time. I mean, he's, how old is that? Four, five, six hundred years old? Wow, you look good for your age. All right. But anyways, so... Confusion is the big deal. We need to know what the Word of God says because this is a book. There's a song called or that says, uh, I'm using my Bible as a road map, right? It's an old bluegrass song. You all probably haven't heard of it, but it's really good. Uh, but if, if you try to use your Bible as a road map and it says, T- different things, how can you know for sure that you're following the right path, okay? Bible quizzers, the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? What, what if I were su- to suggest to you that it might be, it might look like the same path, but it might be 10% off off course would that be okay to you so if i were going to say i wanted to get from here to sister hannah in the back and it's a straight shot and i'm using this map right here and it tells me to go this way just just 10 percent off course i wouldn't make it to sister Hannah. i have to go that way right okay I, i think you get the point so uh but the, the same verse, or the verse 33 in the same chapter of 1 Corinthians says, uh, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God is not the author of confusion. He is the author of His Word. Right? So, with His Word, He doesn't want you to be confused. So that's the issue today. Okay? Though he's not the author of confusion, he wants us to know his word as it was inspired by the Holy Ghost and not edited by human bias. Okay? The written word of God is authoritative. So here's some verses. Did I make this slide? I don't think I did. Okay, if you're writing notes, okay? If you're using notes, writing notes notes uh matthew 5 18 i'll actually go there in a second luke 16 17 galatians 3 16 psalm 12 6 through 7 john 10 34 through 36 Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. 
Bible quizzers ought to be able to quote Isaiah 40, verse 8. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Uh, it says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. You can translate that into dotting of the I, crossing of the T, in our culture, basically. He's saying not one single scribble of God's word is going to pass until all be fulfilled, until God comes back for his bride. It's authoritative. If God said it, it's going to happen. Okay? So Psalm chapter uh, 12. Let me go there. Where is that? There we go. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 through 7. Bible quizzers. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And this, where, this is where the next verse, this is where I want to stress. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them for, from this generation forever. That verse right there says that God is going to preserve his word throughout all generations forever. Meaning that he's going to have a word for the people to use to live their life as a road map, as a way to live, uh, a guide for holiness, a guide for, um, for reaching the lost, a guide for just getting closer to him. Okay, He's going to preserve that word. But what humans do is we have biases. We've been taught different things throughout our lives. And so in some of these translations, it shows up. So, okay, now next slide. I'm so sorry, I forgot about that one slide. Okay, it's working on it. So the next one is uh, the evaluation of translations, okay? So I want to teach you that you can test a translation to see whether or not you can actually rely on it to, uh, to be read as the Word of God, okay? So... Uh, criteria number one is the manuscripts. So what the translation was based off of, okay? Uh, number two is translation philosophy, okay? What were they thinking when they translate, translated? And three is just plain good translation, okay? Because there can be bad translations. Okay. Next slide uh, is the manuscripts. So the first component of a reliable translation is uh, what Hebrew and Greek manuscripts uh, it uses as the basis for its text. Uh, there is no book on earth that has as many historical copies of it than the Bible. Anybody want to guess how many 
ancient copies of the New Testament there are. Oh, it's on the screen. But like this row, this row right here is falling asleep. So I, I was I was pointing it towards them. Oh, can we maybe like turn one of the lights off over here? There's no less than three thousand one hundred and twelve. No, three thousand. So, what did I say about the New Testament? It was written in what language? Greek. Greek. Okay, so these are all New Testament manuscripts, okay? So, having said that, some translations use manuscripts which they say are older and better than the ones used by King James translators. I think next slide, maybe. Yes, okay. So some translations use what they call older and better manuscripts. So let's take a look at it. The, the manuscripts in question are indeed older, but do not necessarily agree with the manuscripts used in the King James Version. There are verses that are not present that would be found in the King James Version. In its place could be a statement that says earlier or the earliest manuscripts do not include this verse. Uh, and there are about 10,000 less words in these earlier manuscripts and in the translations that use these manuscripts. Okay, So uh, this list of verses here are the missing verses. That's a lot, right? That's about that's about 10,000 words missing. Okay? And I want to hit one, uh, Mark 16, 9 through 20. And I want to show you what it says. Uh, the, the, the worst uh, of offender of this, I would say, that I have seen is the New International Version. It's, it's one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most liberal uh, translations of the Bible. Okay? So it's missing all of those. They might, they might put it in there just because they've gotten so many complaints about why is my Bible so thin? Uh, why is this verse not in it? They might put that in there, but I'll show you what they say. See if I can. Okay, I've got this on my phone because I don't uh, own a NIV Bible anymore. But this is what it says. Can you see that? I'm bringing it over there. No, it's several verses, nine through twenty. 11 verses. Yes. See, they've written it down there, but it's all italicized. And uh, up there it says the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. Okay? But in other parts of the NIV, they instead of putting it in there, they just put it in, they leave it blank, 
and they put brackets, meaning they intentionally didn't put it in there, or in the ESV, they just skip it completely. You can find some ESVs that include the those verses, but they're gone uh, in the manuscripts that they use. So, but translations that use these older manuscripts are a product of what we call textual criticism. I think that's the next slide. Okay, textual criticism. So it's it's argument arguments uh, uh, against the validity of what they call the textus receptus, or the received text, or the majority text. So it's they're basically arguing about what manuscripts are accurate enough to be translated into English. And so their argument is that there's just a few uh, older, the oldest manuscripts, there's like five, five or six, that they trust to translate. But you have how many manuscripts in the Greek? Over 3,000. So what they don't tell you is that 80 to 90 percent of those Greek manuscripts closely resemble the majority text that's used by the King James Version. Okay, that's not my opinion, that's fact. That's why it's called the majority text because the majority of it agrees, right? So textual critics would argue that uh, the majority text or all of these these other ones, these other manuscript manuscripts were passed down and what they call redacted or edited. We got sleepy people in the back row. Do they know I'm going to talk about them? You're going to be on podcast, brother. Um, so this lesson is going to either put you to sleep or you're going to be really interested in it. So I hope you're very interested in it. I know it's Sunday morning. Everybody's tired. But this is important stuff to know. If you're going to live for Jesus, you need to know what his word says. So, But anyways, uh, the oldest manuscripts are not necessarily the oldest witnesses. Okay? Uh, you have what, like what Sister Hannah talked about not too long ago. Uh, you have non-biblical witnesses to Jesus, right? And non-biblical witnesses of uh, the apostles and the disciples and the events that happened. And one, one person is uh, Irenaeus. Did you talk about Irenaeus? Do you remember? You don't remember? Okay. But he literally saw the Apostle John, and he quoted what was written in some of these missing verses, okay? He's, he didn't write the Bible. He wrote, he was a historian, okay? But he quoted the events that happened in some of these missing verses that were in some of these older manuscripts, Okay, does that make sense? And in just the first century, like within the first 70 years of Jesus dying, you have at least seven other witnesses to 
these missing verses, okay? So, let's see, next. Okay, so the majority text uh, I think is correct. I think it should be used, and here's why. Because according to this book, it's uh, very, very, you know, complete in their study of everything. They say that we find historically that the manuscript history of an ancient book multiply with the result that copies nearest in accuracy to the autograph or original will normally have the largest number of descendants. All right, I'm going to translate that, okay? So they're saying the, the manuscripts that are most accurate are going to have the most copies, okay? And that is proven historically, traditionally. So traditionally, ancient books, when they were copied, it was because that they were worn out and they needed a new copy because they were getting hard to read. They were getting creases in them. They were getting torn up. So they needed to copy them. And once they copied them, traditionally, the old copy or the original was thrown away or it was burned, destroyed somehow. So you just have the new copy. So it would make sense that the majority of these manuscripts are newer than these earlier manuscripts that the other ones are talking about or are wanting to use. The textual critics are arguing are the best. Okay. So based off this tra tradition, um, according to this book, these earliest manuscripts might not have been deemed accurate enough to copy. So they were put aside, forgotten about, until somebody thousands of year, years later found them, right? Okay. Does that make sense? Everybody awake? No? Okay. So... The oldest manuscripts are not the oldest witness. Uniformity and dominance of the majority text, that means everything's uh, consistent, everything's, uh, there's more of these manuscripts that agree with each other. And tradition of the copying of ancient manuscripts is why I think that... Uh, Bibles that or translations that use the uh, majority text are the ones to be used, okay? All right, next slide. You, you also have translation philosophy. That's the second uh, criteria. Criterion? Criteria? Anyways, well, that's a word. Uh, Okay, so you have three translation philosophies. The first one is literal translation. That is a word-for-word -word translation. Second translation philosophy is dynamic equivalence. Everybody say it together. Dynamic equivalence, okay? That would be a thought-for-thought -thought translation. The third one is paraphrase. 
They translate the impact of a passage. Okay? Next slide. First one is the literal translation. In a literal translation, each word is translated directly and consistently. Less importance is put on the readability in English, and more importance is placed on the original word order and grammar. Grammar is important. Say amen. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Anyways. So, uh, such translations are more consistent with the original text and admittedly, in some places, more difficult to read. The King James Version, in some places, is a little difficult to read. Uh, Hard to memorize, too. You're right. Um, So, some examples of literal translations are King James Version... uh, NASB, I don't remember what the the acronym is there, Uh, New King James Version, and the English Standard Version. Uh, So just because I I said this about uh, literal translations, that they're hard to read, doesn't mean that they're so rigid that they can't uh, accurately transfer idioms or uh, figures of speech, right? So are you saying, what's what's a figure of speech? Like, just give me an example. What happened yesterday? It was raining cats and dogs outside. What does that mean? Okay. You're as dumb as a rock. Strong as an ox. Okay, stuff like that. So there are idioms in the Bible, and uh, just because... The translators of a literal translation translate it. That's a lot of words. Trans, trans, translate. Anyways. Uh, just because they translated it word for word does not, does not mean that they didn't take into consideration uh, these idioms. Okay, They're very uh, knowledgeable about them. And we'll get to that later. Okay, second one is uh, dynamic equivalence. So translators using this philosophy attempt to translate not each word, but each thought. They are much easier to read in English, and they attempt to capture the significant point of the passage and interpret the thought. So instead of translating word for word, they, they look at the passage they say, what is the author trying to say here? And then they translate it like that. To make it easier to read, to make it... Uh, but they, they still try to do their best to, to be as accurate as possible. Um, but it requires the translator to make some interpretive judgments in the process of translation. Uh, so it's not going to be 100% accurate. Okay. Um, so some examples of dynamic equivalence translations are the New International Version and the New Living Translation. I'm sure there's more. Um, in fact, I think the majority of your modern translations are going to be in this category right here, dynamic equivalence. Um, 
So such translations, in my opinion, are not worthless, but you must remember that sometimes you are reading more of a commentary rather than a translation. Uh, so you, you know the verse that says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He didn't say every thought. It's every word. Not every thought, every word. So, the next, uh, next slide. Paraphrase translations. This is, uh, if, you ever have, if you've ever read a paraphrase translation, it could be quite funny. I have, uh, I have one of them on my phone, and uh, it's just very interesting. Like, yeah. So, but they don't focus on the literal words. They don't even think, they don't even focus on a thought for thought translation. They instead focus on making the text easy to read and to capture the impact of the passage. Just the impact. Not necessarily the thoughts or the words, but the impact. So, examples of a paraphrased translation uh, is the Message Bible. Uh, uh, paraphrase Bibles, they, they don't like acronyms, I don't think. They like to say the whole word out. So, it's the Message, J.P. Phillips, uh, any, any of his translations, and the Living Bible and also the Amplified Bible. So they take broad, broad liberalities, and they often amplify or expand from the original text. Um, in my opinion, I don't even consider these paraphrases translations. They're commentary. Because basically, it's like a, a play script. You're reading a play script. I'll, I'll read you a short passage. Let's see. Let's go to Acts 2.38. Acts two, everybody knows what Acts 2.38 says, right? Okay. Everybody knows it. They can pretty much quote it, okay? Here's what the Message Bible says. Peter said, change your life. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the Holy, sorry, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our Master God invites. Okay. There's a huge difference. Okay. And then verse 40. He went on in this vein for a long time, urging them over and over, Get out while you still can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. That's what it says right there. Okay. So that sounds more like a drama, right? Like you go to school 
and you're you're putting on a play about Acts two thirty eight, right? Okay, so that's what paraphrases do. Um, I don't suggest you. I don't. I don't suggest that you read this. But another one is called the Holy Ghetto Bible. Thing is, it has cuss words in it. It does for real. Oh yeah, we wouldn't cuss. I'm sure we wouldn't cuss. Anyways, especially not in the Bible. Um, the Holy Ghetto Bible. And then there's one called the Cotton Patch Bible, which is, I think, a more redneck version. Is There's a, a comic book Bible, which I think, Brother Dalton, have you had one before? Okay, superhero. But stuff like that. Hmm? Action Bible, maybe. But anyways, just stuff like that. It's it's not to be taken and to be read as the Word of God, in my opinion. Okay, I said in my opinion. Okay, so the next criteria is a good translation. Uh, and I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, not in the message. I need to get out of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, not in the message, King James Version. Okay. For we, let's see, yes, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ, saying, uh, we don't corrupt the word. Oh, yes. There we go. Uh, I was going to use that scripture as an example. That's what the King James Version says, right? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. It says corrupt right there. But we'll go to the ESV. It says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Okay? Okay. There's a big difference between corruption and peddling. What is peddling? Peddling is going from door to door, knocking on people's door, and asking if they want to buy something. That's peddling. If you if you go if you go knock on people's door, or if you go to the you know wherever and stop people on the street, say, "Hey, do you want to buy a candy bar?" Or donate something. That is technically called peddling. Okay? Well, it, only if it's illegal. It's not, I mean, in some places it's illegal, some places it's not. But anyways, but corruption, what do you think about when you think about corruption? You hear it in the news. You hear about corruption in politics, right? People are taking things that should be good and turning it into bad. So what they're saying in the King James Version is that some people are taking God's word, which is good, and turning it into something that's bad. But what the ESV is doing is saying that they're trying to go from door to door trying to sell it. So that is where you can see the biases of the translators. Okay, directly. And if you it's not just the ESV, 
is NIV. Uh, NKJ, well, NKJV does not say that. It says corrupt. But NIV, uh, NLT, the message, they all say that. So um, I hear the music, so I'm going to try to wrap up. Um, so you still need a good translation. You don't need it to, to have human biases. People can be taught things in their life, like uh, women in ministry. Men can, uh, can be taught that women shouldn't be in ministry, even though the Bible says that women can indeed be in ministry. But if they were taught that and they want to translate a Bible, they can put their biases in it and make it say something different because their translation has to be 10% different than the other translations. So they have to change something somewhere, so they might as well change it in the places where they think they ought to change it. But anyways, uh, I want to give you an example of, uh, of like how the King James Version um, translated and how accurate it is. I, you know, me and Sister Hannah are learning Spanish, so I wanted to translate a song. So I attempted last week to translate a song, a whole song, from beginning to end. And it's uh, this place, or in, the, or yes, this place. Um, so the song would be called in Spanish, En Este Lugar, which means in this place. Um, so I got to the verse, I think have a picture of it. Verse, yes. So, the second part of the verse is, Lord, we want you, no one else will do in this place, right? Y'all heard that song before? So, uh, so I say, Señor, te queremos nadie más adecuado. Or, directly translated, I could say, Lojara which means no one else will. So if I were to translate, translate it lojara, that means no one else will want you, basically. Lord, we want you, no one else will. So, so I had to figure out a word that, that fit what was trying to be said. Okay, So I used the word adecuado, which means adequate. No one else is more adequate than you. It's probably still not correct. It's probably if a, a native Spanish speaker were to listen to what I'm saying, which is going to be on the podcast, they're going to be like, surely there's a better word than adequate. But that's what I used. It made more sense than no one else will want you. Um, so King James, just a, a short history of the King James Version, okay? King James was a king of England. He was surrounded by Protestants, which are people that split off from the, the Catholic Church, and they had English translations when he, was, when he first became king, right? But he would read them because he was a, an avid uh, uh, student of God's Word. He had to be, to be king, 
You know, back then there was no separation of church and state. They were the same thing. So he had to understand the Bible. He understood Greek and Hebrew. Like, he was fluent in it. So, but he was reading these English translations of the Bible, and he said, well, that doesn't sound right right there. They put some bias there. Uh, and then in some translations, they had footnotes of opinions uh, of that particular uh, denomination, be it Lutheran or uh, something like that. So he decided that he wanted to make a pure, accurate English translation of the Bible so that everybody can read it, everybody can understand it, and it could be uh, good enough to be called the Word of, excuse me, the Word of God. Okay. And so he pulled people from every denomination of Christianity, had opposing views. And said, y'all are going to work together. And you, I better not see a bias in here. And also, the Catholic Church was watching. Saying, okay, if you're going to do this, we're going to be watching you. And if you get one word wrong, we're going to kill you. Absolutely. People died. People died giving us an English translation of the Bible. Burned at the stake. They were put on a stake. They were put on a pole, wrapped around with a uh, rope, had a bunch of firewood put around them, said, okay, you know what you did. Do you take back what you did? Are you going to renounce that there should be an English translation of the Bible? They say, no, I will not. And then they light them on fire. They're cowards. They weren't going to do that. Back then, honor, your name, what you did meant something. You don't change your mind. You have enough integrity to make a decision, realize what you did, and hold on to it. So people died giving you an English translation of the Bible, including some of the translators of the King James Version. Maybe not necessarily burned at the stake, but uh, they definitely died. So when you read the King James Version of the Bible, just think of everything that was that they had to go through. This was, there was 40, how many? 47 men that dedicated their life for several years to translating this. The modern translators of the Bible, they don't put that much effort into it, in my opinion. Okay? When you have something that took that much effort to translate and they got it accurate enough that the Roman Catholic Church did not execute them. That means something. Because they were executing people left and right. So, uh, I want us to stand.
I just want you to, to see how important all of this is. I want you to be educated. I hope that you listened. I hope now that you can go and uh, you choose for yourself what Bible you need to read. You have the tools to, to, to you're equipped with the tools to make the decision for yourself. I can't say that if I were a leader of someone and they needed a Bible, I could not take the ESV and put it in their hands and say, this is the ticket to heaven. Because I know what it says. I know what manuscripts they used. I know their philosophy. I can't, I can't give an NIV to one of you. I, can't, I just can't do it. That's my personal conviction. I can't do it. I can't in good conscience if they were to decide to... I better not say that. I better not say that. Um, but let's end in prayer. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done. We ask that you help us, Lord, today, Jesus. Help us to, to uh, determine in our hearts, Lord Jesus. You have given us the Holy Ghost. And by your Spirit, you can help us to determine what is right and what is wrong in the word that we read. We believe, Jesus, that you have preserved a word for us, and we want you to help us to find it. Help these young people, Lord, to live a life according to your word. In Jesus' name, we give you the praise and the glory. Amen. This has been an episode of Axiom Youth Student Ministries. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed, and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Thank you for tuning in. Restore